It's 12.08. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, I am going to start taking this personally now. We've been talking about for the last couple weeks, it seems like we cannot get through a single three-hour edition of the Jeff Wagner Show without having the freeway closed mm-hmm. somewhere for yep. some portion of this. I mean, we, we had the thing on Friday where you had that, that, that collision that cost somebody their life, and they had the freeway that was closed down. So you're telling me today... This time at the start of the show, we've got a problem. Yeah, we have another situation. 43 Northbound is shut down at Brown Deer Road. They are diverting all traffic off at Good Hope currently. So Hmm. accident there is uh, causing some issues. And that's not the only place. A couple other spots, too, that are slowing things down today. See, I've been been starting to think maybe just people are driving around. They're listening to the program. They're so into it they get distracted or something like that. Could be. Could Could be. be, I guess. Could be pure speculation (laughs) on my part. Right. Exactly. But we will... And it seems to me, I, I just I repeat myself a bit on this, we will continue to keep you updated on the mess on the roadways because mm-hmm. it seems like on an almost daily basis. Now, part of it, I think, is is also the you've got so much road construction that's going on around here. And I think sometimes that I'm not saying that led to what's going on um, in the Brown Deer Road thing. But there, there's so much road construction that's going on. I think sometimes people drive too quickly for conditions or whatever or don't pay attention. But it's an ongoing mess. And today is apparently no different. Uh, I-43 closed right around Brown Deer Road. So we don't know how long the closure is going to be if you are heading north. Get off, get off at Silver Spring, get off at Good Hope. Um, otherwise, just be prepared to wait. Because mm-hmm. when it's closed, if you're north of Good Hope Road, there's just <laughs> you can't get off. You're just stuck there. So we'll continue to keep you updated with Time Saver Traffic Reports. All right, we have a lot of ground to cover. Let us start with some good news. After days and days and days of relentless bad news in the stock market, today is a very good day on the stock market. As we sit here now... Dow Jones Industrial Average up 427 points. That's a 1.75% increase. The NASDAQ up 155. Uh, be, be, that's a 2.2% increase in the NASDAQ. Now, like I say, that's not going to get all the money back that you've lost on paper over the course of the last couple weeks. But it is it is good news, and it's difficult, again, to try to figure out what it is that, that's driving the market, why it's up today, why it was down yesterday, why it was down big the day before that. But in any event, um, if you watch that, good news today. The Dow up more than 400 points. We've still got another three hours to go before it closes. Who knows what that will be? But good news in the stock market. All right. The, the, the breaking news story of the morning is that Michael Cohen, the former personal attorney for – Donald Trump was sentenced in federal court in New York this morning. Now, it it gets a little bit complicated, but let me try to to break this down. There were multiple multiple offices that got involved in charging Michael Cohen with crimes. The majority of the crimes that he pled guilty to were charges that were brought by the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, which is like New York City. They involved tax evasion, and they involved these campaign finance violations tied to President Trump that we'll talk about in just a minute. Robert Mueller also had one set of charges, and Cohen pled guilty to one special counsel-related charge, and that had to do with lying to the FBI um, with regard to you know how long he negotiated with the Russians to try to have a Trump Tower built in, in, in Russia. 
but that was the minor charge. The major charges were the ones brought by the special prosecutor, by the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York. Bottom line is the judge sentenced him, Cohen, all in, all done, to three years in prison, 36 months, gave him until early March to report. They also fined him a, a whole bunch of money between fines and restitution and things like that. It's, um, you know, pushing, I think, you know, pushing $2 million is, is where that ended up being. So extremely, extremely expensive for his part. You know, President Trump is out there talking about Michael Cohn as being a, a rat and a weak person and saying that, well, you know, for somebody who did these different things that he did, it's, it's just amazing that he only got three years in prison. Now, there is an irony to this, mind you, because the reality is the reason Let's put aside the tax evasion question for a second. But the, the reason that, that Michael Cohn is going to prison is things that he did because he wanted to weasel himself into Donald Trump's orbit. I mean, that, that's just that, that's just the reality. So it is ironic that President Trump is now saying, hey, he, he got off easy. He should have been doing more time, things like that, because most of the things, putting aside tax evasion, most of the reasons that he's gotten convicted for stuff, it's stuff that he did at the the behest um, of, of President Trump, which is, again, there, there is this irony. And, and regardless of how you feel about President Trump, there, I guess there, there's two things that always strike me about this and the fact that so many people that have been in his orbit for long periods of time or short periods of time end up, I don't know, disgraced or going to prison or whatever. And, and it's, number one, that President Trump clearly – is either attracted to or attracts these sleazy type of people. Michael Cohn is a sleazy guy, and and it's fair to say he's a sleazy guy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but he was Donald Trump's sleazy guy. And my sense is that you know, Trump recognized what he had in Cohen and you know reached out to him because he had Cohen doing things that reputable lawyers would just have refused to do. So, I mean, there's a lot of blame here to, to kind of go around. For Cohn's point of view, I think rather than trying to make a living a legitimate way, he recognized that, gee, if I can get, if I can be one of Trump's guys, I will be able to capitalize that on that and I will be able to make a lot of money for myself, et cetera, et cetera. And when you go into things like that and you get involved, in that sort of way, it almost never works out well. So, I mean, Michael Cohn getting all this time. Here's the interesting aspect of this, and I, I don't want to go too far into the weeds, but the, the, aside from the tax evasion, the big counts that Cohen got convicted of were the the campaign finance violations. And both myself and lots of campaign finance law experts continue to believe that what Cohen pled guilty to isn't a crime. Uh, now, why why did he do it instead of fighting it? Well, maybe he just decided that, hey, I've got all this other liability. I, I want to try to move on. But I, I think one of the important things to know is, and we've reviewed this before, Michael Cohen was the guy who orchestrated the, the payments to Stephanie Clifford, Stormy Daniels to try to keep her quiet. The way this worked was 
2016 election. You've got this former porn film star who wants to sell her story saying that she slept with or didn't sleep with Donald Trump back at a golf tournament in 2006 or 2007. Trump doesn't want, this is the way the prosecutor's theory is, Trump doesn't want the story to come out. And the truth of the matter is there's probably lots of reasons why he doesn't want it to come out. It's going to be embarrassing to him. It's going to create problems with his wife. And is there a concern that you're running for president and the fact that, you know, there's this pornographic film actress who says she had a one-night stand with you? Will that hurt your standing among the electorate? So what happened is apparently there was this arrangement that was struck whereby Cohen would funnel money from Donald Trump, not then President Trump, but from candidate Donald Trump would funnel money to the National Enquirer, which at the time was run by a friend of Donald Trump. They would pay this woman for her story, and then they would sit on the story. They call it catch and kill. You buy the story, but you you don't run it. All right. Well, the prosecutor's theory is that that money that was used to essentially buy the story and kill it that was a campaign donation. I mean, the campaign finance laws say anything you do on behalf of a campaign has to be disclosed, has to be reported. So the prosecutor's theory is that that was a campaign finance violation. That, they're kind of out on a limb on, on that one. Now, I understand Cohen pled guilty, said, yes, I, I did it. But lots of legal experts don't think that that is a crime because, again, for that to be a crime, it would have had to have been presumably the only reason why you made this payment. Um, if President Trump, for example, were to come in and say, yeah, I made this payment, I understand he, he says he never had the affair. But if he were to say, hey, I made this payment because this was embarrassing and I didn't want to cause my wife to be embarrassed by this, so I was trying to kill the story, it really wasn't primarily for the campaign. That would be, I think, a pretty compelling defense. Now, we don't have to get to that point right now because Cohen admitted it was a crime and you know he's going to go to prison for it. But there is an interesting dynamic here. I think he candidly has been convicted of something that if he tried to fight it, legally probably wasn't a crime. But the bottom line is, Michael Cohen, if he didn't do this, he did something else, and including income tax evasion. So I don't think a three-year sentence is bad. What does this mean for Donald Trump going forward? I, I don't think... People are going to say oh, it's going to lead to impeachment. No, I, I don't think that because, again, I don't believe that this is something that you know people are going to think ultimately is going to be a crime. It's just more tawdry, tawdry unseemly stuff. But it is an object lesson for people who decide that they want to try to get in the orbit of somebody like a Donald Trump or a person like Donald Trump. It almost never works out for those little people. And Michael Cohn is the latest guy to learn that lesson the hard way. All right, when we come back, if you're thinking about going back to the gym after the holidays, be prepared that something might be different. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. It's 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So bottom line is, if you are anywhere on I-43, essentially between downtown and Brown Deer Road, get off. <laughs> That's just the bottom yeah, line. Yeah. It's a mess going southbound. It is a me- it's closed going northbound. So 
find alternate routes and we'll continue to keep you updated as to when things clear up. It just it I don't know what's going on, but it does seem like almost on almost a daily basis. We have these reports of not just traffic delays, but I mean, closures on the freeways and things like that. So drive carefully and we'll continue to keep you updated. All right. Here here is the story Uh, for, for many people. You start the new year with the best of intentions. People make New Year's resolutions, and one of those New Year's resolutions is a lot of times is, hey, I'm going to get healthy this year. And that's why, if you look, January is a big month for people signing up for health clubs, the YMCA, the Wisconsin Athletic Club, you know, locally here, whatever, Elite Fitness, you, you name it. People, people sign up, and then what they find happens is you start the year with the best of intentions, but it, it kind of drops off. And so you'll, you might have trouble finding a machine in January, but by March, a lot of those people have, have, of course, faded. Well, if you are one of those people um, who maybe maybe you've belonged to the health club before, but you haven't been going as much, and you decide that you're going to go back, prepare to perhaps be surprised. Now, the the place that I go, and I'll I, I my wife. My wife has got me in this list. It's like, okay, Jeff, you're off work next week. We are go. I'm off work next week. You're off work next week. We are. We're we're going to go start working out again. She's just. She's very very militant about that. And of course, I'm just going to say yes, dear. But the place I go, um, when you get on the treadmill, for example, there, there's individual TVs on each of the treadmills. But the all the stuff, all the workout equipment is geared towards. There are five or six big screen TVs that are on the wall. So you can stand there and you're on the treadmill and you look at the stuff that, that is on the wall. Now, typically at the place I go to, there's a couple channels which are, are preset on the big screen TVs. ESPN tends to be there and a number of the news channels, CNN, maybe MSNBC, Fox News, etc. And that's kind of the way it, it's always been. It's kind of so you keep up on current events at the same time that you're also keeping up, you know, if you want to watch the sports. And again, you've got the individual machine that's on your treadmill as well. Journal Sentinel has a, the Stevens Point Journal actually has a very interesting story about a guy who was used to working out at the, the YMCA up in kind of like the Stevens Point area. So he hadn't been there for a while, goes back to the Y, and, and what he finds is that all the news channels have been taken off the TVs that are on the wall. And he says, well, wait, I'm, I'm used to watching CNN or whatever. He said, well, where is this? And they say, well, it, it's gone. He says, what do you mean it's, it's, it's gone? They say, well, you can, you know, you can watch it on your little screen if you want. But they say, yeah, we've, we've decided that we're going to take all these news channels off because what we had happen a couple months ago is two, two of our members got into an argument over politics because of what was on the screen. So our answer to that is we're going to take this all off the screen. We're, we're not going to have the news channels anymore. And they said, well, you know, by the way, there, there's other fitness centers across the country that have done this. So if you go expecting Fox News or CNN or MSNBC on on the big screens, you're not going to see it because people can't handle themselves. And this guy is like, well, well what do you mean? You know, what do you mean? They said, nope, we, we are censoring we are censoring the stuff that the members can watch, at least on the big screen TVs. And this guy says, well, this is absolutely ridiculous. Okay, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, this is my take on this. 
I think it is absurd that you will take news channels off these TVs. I, I just think that that is crazy. If you have, for example, two people who have the impulse control of fruit flies and decide that they're going to get in an argument or they're going to duke it out because of something going on on Fox News or MSNBC or whatever, that tells me that you know what you need to do is you need to get rid of those two members. But the idea that in 2018 we have so little impulse control that we we can't control ourselves if we see a news channel, an MSNBC or a CNN or a Fox News or whatever, so that the answer is, well, we're just not going to show that. I, I think that's the wrong way to go about things. And I understand why this guy is upset. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, when we were on our, our river cruise, there were a whole bunch of TV channels that you could get, but the only ones that you could get that were in English were either CNN International or one of the Fox News things. Well, all right, I would have liked a broader choice, but I didn't get into a fist fight over that. Should these health clubs, should these fitness centers be censoring what people can watch because a small handful of people can't handle the news? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, hold on. We discuss in just a moment. It's 1227. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Paul and Racine. Paul, good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right, so they, they've decided the members are so out of control that they have to take off MSNBC and Fox and CNN. What do you think about that? I think it's uh, pathetic that people can't control themselves. Yeah, I, I, I right, I... I I mean, I agree. And again, it, 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 they can do, look, the health clubs can do what they want and people can decide whether they're going to go there or not. But I mean, to me, the larger and much more interesting issue is that, you know, we, we apparently have point people that are so out of control that you're going to get into a fist fight over something that you see at the gym on CNN. To me, if I were the gym, I don't want those people as members. If that's what's going to get you into a fist fight, throw them out. I agree. Yeah, no, thanks. See, and that, that's, the, that, that's the key to this. Yvonne in Milwaukee. Yvonne, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, good afternoon. I agree with you totally. Those two should have been told, you're going to stay out. We'll see you in a month. If you come back acting a fool, bye. <laughs> right. I mean, you're there to work out. And, and, and if you have an opinion, keep your big mouth shut and everybody else doesn't need to hear it. Well, well right. And for, for everybody else who, who likes to go see, uh, again, who, who likes to watch the news and is able to watch CNN, thanks to Call Yvonne, who's able to watch Fox News or watch CNN or watch NBC or whatever without getting so irate that they get into a fist fight. I mean, where do you draw the line? I mean, what, what about what about ESPN? I mean, are people going to get an argument because the Packers are playing the Bears? No, I just, look, do they have a right to do it? Yes. But the way you handle this, it seems to me, is if you have members who are getting into arguments about the news channels well you get rid of the members not the news channels 1237 jeff wagner wtmj so you think you want to live in california huh uh the 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 two the wildfires that they had that are, are now under control the california insurance commissioner is out today saying that First of all, the estimates are that these are going to be the most costly wildfires in california history but so far they estimate the insurance claims 
that have been made are for over $9 billion, B as in billion dollars, and there's at least one and perhaps more insurance companies that are going to be into bankruptcy because they don't have the resources to pay for these catastrophic types of, of losses, $9 billion and, and counting. Here's the other really interesting thing. They, what the one that they called the Camp Fire, C-A-M-P, the Camp Fire, which is the one that was in Northern California, that apparently everybody says the cause of that was a utility company that had lines, power lines that were sparking and started things on, on fire. So here, I mean, here's the issue. Um, so you have people, let's say they're not insured or let's say they're underinsured or whatever. There are undoubtedly going to be a number of lawsuits that are going to be brought, including perhaps by some of the insurance companies, against the power company for, I mean, causing the fire in the first place. And you know, a power company can't can't declare bankruptcy i don't think but you know they're going to have to come up with this money and one of the concerns is you could be looking at massive massive rate increases for everybody who gets their power from this power company so i mean it's going to be financially huge you've got insurance companies as a result of these wildfires that are going out of business you know that the ones that are able to stay in business are going to just send the premiums for again fire insurance and stuff through up through the roof and it is quite likely that you're going to see the the costs again for for your power electricity gas or whatever they're going to go through the roof too because because if there's big judgments against the power company, the only way they have of paying for it is to generate more money, and that's going to be through increased rates. So if you think you want to move to California because the weather is so better, well, I mean, they've got they've got fires, they've got mudslides. You might want to think that through. All right. I was talking about this briefly with, with Steve Scafidi before we started the show. There's a new, there's a new number that, that's out there. Um... The number of robocalls that were made to Americans in the month of November. I'm, I'm only I'm only talking about one month. This would be November, and I asked I asked Steve. I said, "Well, would you like to take a guess?" And that's always kind of unfair because you don't have a perspective. But I said, "Take a guess." He said, "Well, I mean, there's a lot. I, I get all these things out I, a billion," and I said, "No, five point one billion robocalls made 5.1 billion robocalls made during november let me give you a perspective that's nearly 2000 robocalls per second 2000 robocalls per second now you might say to me well jeff how can this be happening because we have we have a do not call list and we have all this legislation that's there. Well, I mean, the, the problem is the way a do not call list works is it's not like there is some governmental agency that puts your telephone number into some giant computer that then jams and blocks robocalls from being able to call you. I mean, it's it's not like that. By putting your name on a do not call list, what that does is if you are subject to robocalls, it arguably gives you a, a, a claim, a basis for some sort of relief. You can say, hey, I'm on this do not call list and this telemarketer was still calling me, etc. Now I want damages. But it, it doesn't stop you from getting the calls. And the reality, the way this is working out, 
is that it's become almost impossible to find the people that are making the robocalls in the first place. And then even if you're able to find them, it is almost impossible to to bring them to justice. And, you know, the, these, these robocall moguls or, or whatever, they, in general, are a lot smarter or a lot craftier or a lot more intense than the government regulators. And every time the government regulators do something, they're, they're able to figure out a way to, to get past it. Which is why, if you are like me, now I, I have a I have a cell phone. My, as everybody does, I don't give myself. There's only a handful of people that really have my cell phone number. I mean, I, seriously, I, I I don't use it for business purposes and stuff. So beyond my wife and my brother and a couple close friends and I guess people at work. I mean, people people don't have my cell phone. It, it's not something I. The, the number it's just not it's not out there in the general public but i will say on any given day i probably get 5 to 10 of these robocalls one of the one of the ways i can tell that it's always going to be a robocall is that um i for example i have my cell phone with me here while i'm doing the show i i put it on on vibrate and if it's go- and people know I do this radio show from noon to three so all my friends know I mean don't bother calling you know don't bother calling during noon to three because unless it's an absolute emergency so when I see all these calls come up with you know you don't know who it is because you've got the caller ID I, I know it's just it's one of these fake calls but I get probably five to ten of these a day and my guess is I am on the low side my guess is many many people get a lot more one of the other things they are finding is that again these these robocalls are particularly being targeted to older Americans, especially with the scams, because the the scammers believe that if you're that older Americans might be less technologically savvy and um, might be more inclined to be taken in by one of these various schemes that you have, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of that going on. Also, it's more difficult to block these robocalls or the scam calls if you have a landline. It's just that's the reality. It's much more difficult to do that. And more and more of the people who still have landlines, not exclusively, but tend to be older Americans. So they're very, very much being targeted. But this is becoming the the huge outrage. And for anybody who thinks that we're trying to get it, we're getting a handle on it and the do not call list protects you. 5.1 B as in billion calls made in November. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How big an annoyance factor is this? How how much does this bother you? And is this maybe one of these issues where we could find some bipartisan agreement that we need to have government do a lot more to protect us from these various calls and really crack down on the people that are making 2,000 calls a second. Now, I mean, that's not one provider necessarily, but 2,000 robocalls a second by the various robocall outfits. How big a deal is this? 414-799-1620. How annoying is it? And are you concerned about the scams? We talk about it in just a moment. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's the problem. The FTC is the one, the Federal Trade Commission, is the one that is charged with regulating robocalls and punishing those callers that are out there. Well, the problem is 
1,000 robocalls a second. There's too many. It is overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed, the FTC. They cannot effectively do anything to try to enforce these do-not-call lists. And I think this is a situation where... Number one, I think you need better enforcement, but also this is a point in time where I think the challenge is to all the different cell phone companies out there, this is a technological thing. You know, you should figure out ways to block these spam calls. And I think it is completely unacceptable that the big cell phone providers haven't figured out ways to do this. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Andy in Milwaukee. Andy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Andy. I, uh, twice now, have been contacted by people asking me to quit calling them with insurance uh, offers and other things because these robocallers are spoofing people's right. phone numbers. Right. Spoofing is where they, they use a number very, very similar to yours, or it appears like it, it might be another local call that you're getting, um, and it attracts. And so you think, oh, this is somebody from my neighborhood calling me or whatever. They've actually taken my number. Oh, really? My phone number. Oh, yeah, I've received text messages from people who are likely responding to those calls. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know how they do it, but, yeah, they're, they're actually replicating my number and contacting people with it. It's happened twice. Okay, and so, so you're getting the one saying, hey, knock this off. Stop calling me like that. You're going, man, I'm not exactly. doing, I'm not the guy. <laughs> it just happened Monday. Yep. Wow. Exactly. Well, no, I mean, th- thanks for calling again. I mean, see, this is this is a form of fraud. The problem is, it it's just it has gotten so out of hand. Like these do not call lists. I, I think they're they're great, but but because there is so much money that is involved, and there's so many of these things that are being made, what's happening is the, the robocallers. I was looking at a story in the Chicago Tribune today. It talks about how the FTC catches this guy, and he says, "Yeah, I did it. Yeah, and this is I I make millions of calls a, a day, and they they issued a massive fine, but it's not enough to discourage him because he, he still he goes back to doing the same thing two days later because there's so much money that's been to be made in this. Meanwhile. We have people, and for many of us, it's an annoyance. Okay, the five or ten calls I get, they are an annoyance. But the other factor that's going on here is for a lot of people, they, they get sucked into these frauds. They get sucked into the scams. And the truth of the matter is, once you give one of these sleaze bags your money, your ability to recover it is going to be very, very difficult. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jeff in Pewaukee. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Great topic. Great topic. I want to add a layer to the caller prior to this. I've been in business locally here 23 years in telecom, and this is the reason this is happening. Years ago, you needed your telephone company to show your caller ID, and you could either block it or they could see your number. Well, with virtual phone systems today, you are able, cloud-based, you are able to use any number you want for your caller ID. Right. I could use WTMJ and call five people today and tell them they won, and give me a credit card so I can send them the money. Right. Uh, this is what's happening. It's already against the law to do that. So creating new laws is not going to do it. I, I have no idea how the technology would actually block your call, because if WTMJ wants to call me and we block that, right. well, then you have a new problem. But I would say every other week I have one of my clients, and these are well-known businesses in the area, and that's who they target. And they have the same problem. People call them back and say, could you quit calling me? But what happens is there's a device that automatically makes the call. Someone overseas is connected to that call. 
trying to sell you, you know, a new Google subscription or a new insurance policy. They have they have no idea what number you're seeing. Right. And, and as soon as you're done and you hang up with them and you report it, they're using other numbers. Right. So you're chasing a rabbit. You know, you're, you're, I don't see how they would ever change. Right. I mean, unless, right. And again, this it's, I quickly get beyond my depth when we start talking about these technological issues. But I, I think you're unquestionably right that this is, this, the, the, the solution to this starts with, again, somebody coming up with the technological fix, whatever that might be. And I appreciate right, what you're saying I, about how difficult if you're it is. Using, if we're using the local drugstore, for example, Walgreens, just temporarily for two weeks or a week, by the time you have, yes. a, you know, these are overseas calls. Right, sure. Yeah, and right. You're not talking no, to Jeff no in Pewaukee. Law right, that's right. going to help you. Right, which oh, is, no, no, thanks to, right, no, I, and I understand, and that's why, that's why what you've seen is the FTC has kind of thrown up their hands. And I'm just, actually, the analogy they use in the story I'm looking at is they say it's like, you know, a fisherman, you know, trying to catch fish in their, standing in a stream trying to catch fish with their hands. And all the stuff just, all the fish kind of just go, go running through and you try to grab something. And you're right, because it's overseas, it's almost impossible to trace, which is why vigorous prosecution is only one one aspect of it because for every one person that you catch you probably have a thousand more that are doing it having said that though i don't think in today's day and age i mean we we put a man on the moon in 1969 i just i guess i refuse to believe that in today's day and age you can't figure out some way to stop these things at their at their source and i understand that there are apps out there which which block some of this first of all it's very difficult on landlines to make that work unless you personally you know unless you personally enter the phone numbers that you don't want to block but but even so even on cell phones yes you get the caller id sort of thing and i understand there's some apps there but there, there's no perfect app and even if you've got a couple apps that try to block these things some are going to get through. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jim in Sussex. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Um, you're, correct. you're correct about the apps. I recently installed one on my phone. Um, it's a cell phone. Right. And I have been able to uh, block a number of calls because it tells me who called. Right. But the ones that squeak through on the caller ID, they're missing a digit. It's okay. a six-digit phone number. The app does not recognize it as a phone number, so you can't tell it to block this number in the future. Okay, interesting. So let me let me ask you. Okay, so let, let's talk about the ones that do get do get blocked. Does your phone ring? Does it show up that there's that there's a number coming in? Um, not if it's been one that's on the, the this app claims it has you know close to a million numbers listed in it. So if it's a number that's on their list, it automatically blocks it. Okay. Not only does it block it, it tells that number that this phone has been disconnected or is out of service. Okay, okay. So, and then for know, the I other ones, the ones that aren't on these numbers, it'll show up. Your caller ID will say it's not a. You don't know what the number is, and then you what you do is then you physically go and block it as well. I assume. Yeah, I do it through my cell phone, and I'm used right. to, you know when I see it, I can see that it's it's missing a digit, so I know it's it looks like a local call because it has like a two six two or a four one four area code. But it's only six digits after that, so I know it's a bogus right. number. I, I did 5.1 billion robocalls in November. I guess, I, I mean, I knew there were a lot of them, and I, I, for some reason I think I was getting all of them. But 5.1 billion, that is just, that's a staggering number to me. It is. 
Yeah. I love someone who gets phone calls from their own phone also. Yeah, I've got, matter of fact, it's funny you mentioned that I have three different texts, people saying, a few days ago I received a phone call from my own telephone number. Now, now thanks for the call. And again, I, I, for, for some people it is an annoyance. And you, you might be able to say, okay, well, there's bigger problems that, that we have, and you know, you, so you just don't answer the phone. And I appreciate that, but this is the way the scamsters get in, and and this is this is the the new way of fraud because you get the people that answer these things, and many of them are what's the phrase I'm going to use I, for for whatever reason they freak out. Remember, we've talked about you get those phone calls from the threatening voice. You owe this is the IRS. You owe us money, and unless you give us this dough right away, we're going to attach your bank account. And then people freak out and they call it back. Well, maybe that's only one out of ten thousand. But obviously, if you're making two thousand robocalls a second in this country, you know, you're you're going to have. You know, that means that you're going to hit that one person, you know, every 15 seconds or every 10 seconds or so. I, I, I do think, number one, this is something that the phone companies have to get a handle on. And number two, I think we need to recognize that this do not call list, while well-intended, is not working. And we need to move up to whatever the next the next level of this is. And I'm not willing to just throw up my hands and say, well, there's nothing you can do about it. I don't think that's acceptable. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Eric Dolstead, in, in addition to your on-air role, you're, you're kind of a management type behind the scenes, sure, right? Yep, you know, yep. you, so you, you do all these these things behind the uh, scenes. I, I Every day I get this thing from Talkers Magazine, which is sort of the... It's, it's like variety. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the, the, the industry yeah. thing. And I, I make sure I read it because they've been kind enough to you know recognize this program for a number of years. Yeah. Um, all right, so they've got this new analysis that's out. Would you like to guess... What the number one radio market in the country is for the news talk format, and so what what they do is they they take all the different like news talk stations in a given market and they look at how well they they do. Would you like to guess what the number one market is? Well, I'm guessing it's not New York. It's not New York. I'm. Uh, hmm. Are you suggesting it might be Milwaukee? It is Milwaukee. Okay. It is not even close, as a matter of fact. I mean, between us and another station up the dial, this is, we are, uh, uh, we are the number one market for this format in in the country. It's pretty cool. Um, Number one, Cincinnati is is number two. And again, they're kind of a distant number two. Um, This is based on like the the November numbers. And uh, then it kind of drops down from there. But it is. I mean, it shows it. And it's it's always amazing because I I go out. I'm out in public a lot. And. I think my my wife is saying, do, "Do you do you realize that there's there's like people out there?" And sometimes we we forget it, but this is just mm-hmm. objectively again, Milwaukee, um, according to Talkers Magazine, number one market for yeah. this format in the country. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Good for you. So, no, good for you. I mean, you're you're the you're the one of the management types. I'm just the I'm just the guy that, that does the show for you're just a pawn. I'm just the guy that does the show for three hours a day. But no, it's sort of sort of interesting. So if you're out and about and you're talking to people about, hey, this is what I heard on the radio in this station or that station or whatever, you are not alone because there's a lot of you out there. Number one talk number one market for news talk, um, at least as of November of uh, based on the November analysis. Interesting. All all right, let us switch gears. If you are a if you're a regular listener to this program, you know one of the frustrations that I have is with various double standards. Um, for for example, I happen to think that the, the use of the N word it is it is just a word that people 
should not use. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what your you know racial background is. I, I think I think it is offensive, and I, I think it is it just it should not be used. Period. It, it's also one of these things where I mean, there's just like this screaming hypocrisy. For example, I mean, you had this at Shorewood High School a, a few weeks ago. They're they're staging the play to kill a mockingbird, and in the play to kill a mockingbird, as is in the book, there is that word appears. So they they have they, they have that word which is used. Now it's used in the context of of art and trying to advance the narrative. And To Kill a Mockingbird's a, a a book that that explores you know racism. So that that's why that that word gets used. So you had all these protests. Oh, this is terrible. We can't have this word being uttered as a play. And they ended up having to you know ended up not doing the play uh, because you know. Some of the students just couldn't handle that that word. Well, at the same time, my question was, I wonder how many of those same students that couldn't have that word in the context of To Kill a Mockingbird regularly listen to that word as part of a rap song or something like that. And there's always been this argument that's out there about, well, all right, if you are a person of color, for example, it's okay for you to say that word, whereas if you're not, you, you can't. And My point is, it's an offensive word, and it doesn't matter whose lips it comes out of, it shouldn't be said. Which brings me to this story out of Kenosha. There is a Brad, well, here's the way it's being reported in the Kenosha News. A Bradford High School teacher has been placed on paid administrative leave after students in a class recorded her allegedly repeated repeatedly using a racially derogatory term all right now i admit when i first read that i'm thinking okay well what's what's going on here i mean there's there's a teacher using this term well here's the deal apparently uh the the teacher who teaches an italian language course at the school so she teaches high school italian she reportedly used the n-word after overhearing two students using the N-word during a conversation in class, according to the mother of a student who attends the class, the incident occurred on November 29th. My, I believe what happened is you had, these two students were students of color. So they, they were using that term. The teacher overheard them, and apparently... Um, what happened, teacher overheard the two girls in the class using the word and asked them why it was okay for students to use the word but not others. And then, you know, she said, um, her, the teacher said her reason for, she then articulate. she used that word, and she said she had a nanny of color, and people called her nanny the N-word, and she decided that it was okay. What she was trying to do is get the students to agree with her that using the word was fine. All right, according to the mom, other students in the class felt uncomfortable about hearing this exchange. One of the moms said she took the issue to the principal the day it occurred. Um, they, they, the, the, one of the kids in class went to the principal and talked about this. He talked to the principal. The principal said he was going to handle it, and then he didn't do anything about it. Um, so now the teacher has been suspended while they review this. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As near as I can figure out, the teacher's justification for this was, again, she hears a couple kids using it in class. She starts using that word as a way to, I don't know, demystify it or argue that maybe there shouldn't be a stigma or or whatever. Here is my question. How can I put this? 
what could the teacher have been thinking? Is there ever, ever a justification for a high school teacher, regardless of what their race is, is there ever, in your opinion, a justification for a, a, a high school teacher to use this type of word? Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I come at this from this perspective of I, I hate it. I, I just hate it. When I turn on the, the television, you're watching some you're watching some form of entertainment or you are listening to the lyrics of some, you know, musical song and, and you hear that word. I, I think, you know, I candidly, I think it is a hurtful word. I do not think it belongs in our vocabulary. And I don't think that, you know, some people should have a justification to use it and others shouldn't. But all right, is it ever appropriate for an instructor in a classroom, regardless of their race, to use this word? And what should happen to this teacher who apparently did exactly that? 414-799-1620. We are back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Mark on the south side. Mark, good afternoon. I'm doing well. Happy holidays. Same to you, sir. You know, um, I'm a track coach in one of the local high schools, and it's just a, I'm just a poor. You know, I had kids calling of color, calling each other. To using the, the N-word, N-word, yep. And the N-word, and the N-word. And it even had soaked into a few of the white um, um team members calling the N-word. I uh, put a stop on it. I said, you know, if you use that word, you're going to get kicked out of practice. Right. And if you use it in a meet, what's going to happen is we're going to we're going to suspend you for the next meet. It kind of cleaned it up, but it's almost impossible. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine any circumstance where you, as a as a track coach, where where you would say that word to the to the kids? Oh, <laughs> it would be all over with. Right. Well, I guess you know, that that's one of the things that that's frustrating because if. Is, I think you and I, and I think most people would agree, that is a horrible word that you know people just shouldn't say. But when you have when you have kids, when it's part of a, the culture, and you have especially young kids that are saying it back and forth, and, and then somehow thinking it's okay, I, I think it, it it normalizes a word that I don't think should be normalized. You're absolutely right. You know, we treat it like the F word now. Right. Um, halfway between. Uh, the, the season last year, it was just terrible, and, and we just said it's just like the F word. Yeah. You're not to use it in meets, you're not to use it in practice, and um, you right. know it didn't put a total stop to it, but it, it definitely helped. No, and, I, and, and thanks to call. I mean, and I, I applaud you for doing that because it's now in this particular situation that this teacher. How how do you handle this? Okay, well, I I don't I don't know all the circumstances behind this. She's been suspended with with pay while they end up investigating it it's impossible for me to to imagine a situation where you have a teacher that uses a word like this in a classroom and how that could ever be okay it's just impossible for that for for me to see that but i mean i actually think what mark was talking about that that that's how you deal with this you simply say and it doesn't matter who it is it, it doesn't matter what the race of the child is you simply say look this is unacceptable and and I mean, I think that's how the teacher would have been better off handling this. Look, this is not the way we talk. At least it's not the way we speak in my classroom. And and I want you to knock it off.
it off. And if I hear you do it again, I'm sending you down to the principal because I'm going to draw a line. I guess I can't control what you say when you're on your own, but I can sure as heck control what you say when you are in my classroom. I think that's a better way to to deal with this. Now, does it eliminate it? No, but but at least I think it it perhaps sends the message that you're not going to tolerate it. Lamar in Orlando. Lamar, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, uh, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Your show. Thank you, sir. Um, you know, I'm African-American, and that, I treat that. I don't use the word personally. Uh, I don't. I, I treat it as any other pejorative. I think it's a terrible word. I don't. But the thing that bothers me is the amount of attention that is received when people of a certain complexion use it. And my reason being is because it's like, First of all, context matters a lot. The context definitely matters. Mm-hmm. Yes, this teacher should know better. And I do hope that this teacher does not get any major. I think the suspension was a bit, a bit much. I think there's several counseling because the teacher should know better. Um, this is use it in any context at any, at, at any time. Mm-hmm. And I agree that the teacher should have definitely redirected the kids. But again, it is, it has become a regular piece of pop culture, a regular word and used, especially with the, the younger generation. Um, no well, matter, let me ask no you: What do you think about there. what do you think about that as a person of color yourself? What what you know? What do you think when you hear? I don't know that the, the seventeen-year-old kids in the basketball court or whatever black, you know, throwing that word back and forth. I mean, do you cringe or is it just oh, this is part of the pop culture? It, it doesn't. It doesn't make me cringe. I, I'm a, I'm a person that can understand context, and I look at it just like if you would if you would call me a name, you know, a bad name, right? Like, you know, let's say you call me a dog. You know, you're my dog. Okay, that's in context. If you're saying my dog is my friend, it's that's context. But if you're saying you're a dog, you're a dog, you're a dirty dog, it's a different context. Huh. I'm going to respond accordingly. Right. Common, I, I can understand context. But this, if you're the wrong complexion, if you say it, no matter the context, right. <laughs> it draws this kind of response and it draws me insane. Yeah. And it really takes away from a larger narrative, you know, a, a natural racial narrative. Right. Using that word is not always racial. If that makes any sense. Well, I think so. I mean, I, yes and no, but the problem is, you, I, I think you, you're. I, I understand what you're saying, Lamar, but it's, it's sort of like angels dancing on the head of a pin. Well, what was what was really the intent? You were using that word, and and you were trying to use it in a friendly sort of fashion. I, I guess, I, I just I think that there, there there's some there's some language that we need to get past. I, I guess, and again, my my concern is. That the the frequent use of that, particularly by you know whatever generation, it, it tends to normalize that word. So so then you have an issue where you have the the sixteen or seventeen year old white kid who says, well, yeah, yeah, I use that word referring to so and so because I I mean you know all, all my my teammates on the soccer team or whatever who happen to be African American, they're using that word with regard to each other, and so I mean that they're using it in a happy fashion. So you know what what the heck I I'm doing it too. I don't mean it as a pejorative, and and I guess I think that the context, while I agree with you, matters. Wouldn't we be better off in our society if we said, okay, this, this is just a word that is not acceptable? I also think that there, to the extent that you have younger people that are using that word, there is a tendency towards what I'm going to describe as historical ignorance. I mean, you talk to people, um, you talk to African-American people of a certain age, and the, 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 this, this is a word that was clearly used as a pejorative to them. And I'm sure that a lot of those folks cringe, you know, when they hear, you know, young people throwing that, that, that particular 
term around. I understand that language changes. I mean, I'll give you an example from um, in, a, in a kind of a different context. For you know, one of one of the words that's kind of been hip and trendy now is when you refer to people of a certain sexual orientation. Is you hear this word, you know, queer, that's thrown around. It's like queer eye for the straight guy, and that that's that's a word that used to be, and in my mind, still is a, a pejorative. I mean, that was that was a word that when you use that, especially in the context where you were directing it towards you know somebody based on their sexual orientation, it, it was intended to be offensive. Well, now you know you you have people. It's becoming more of a mainstream word. I cringe, I cringe with that because again, I understand. You know, the, the context that it was originally brought up in. But some people say, well, okay, Jeff, it's 2018. There's a different meaning to that. I'm like, well, I, I tell you, that was a pejorative, you know, most of the time. And, and regardless of what the context is, when I hear that, I kind of, I cringe because at least when I was growing up, I know when you said that, you, you weren't trying to be flattering. But now you've got, again, the, the TV shows and stuff like that. And you have people from, the, the you know the certain communities who are saying yeah that this is the word that we use to describe ourselves so again I understand context matters but it's very very difficult and again there's some words I just think maybe they're better off if, if people aren't throwing them around and certainly not in a classroom 128 Jeff Wagner WTMJ 135 Jeff Wagner WTMJ the guy came up to me um, about a week or so ago, and he said, "I was listening to the program, and I, you were talking about these th- this dietitian that was out there and was recommending that if you want to eat healthier, it's all about proportion control. And we, we think that the, the recommendation was that restaurants shouldn't serve more than six French fries at once." And the guy said, "You, you said pretty funny. You were mocking that." I said, "Well, yeah, I I eat six French fries at once." He said, "I do too. How ridiculous that is!" But that's because we in America we we have a love affair with French fries, and I'm all in favor of portion control and things like that. But I think you need to have a degree of common sense, which brings me to our next story. And my question is going to be not whether or not the company has the right to do what I'm going to tell you about, but whether or not it is the right thing to do or whether or not this is a concession to political correctness. There is a restaurant chain based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. It is called Hopcat. Now, Gru, oh, you, you, your eyes just lit up. You have Yes, there is. There, there's about 20 across the country. There, the closest one to us. There's one in Wisconsin, which is based in in Madison. Um, a lot in Michigan. Again, it was founded in Grand Rapids, Michigan. But they're they're starting to expand across the the Midwest. There's one in Indianapolis. Uh, there's one in Chicago. There's one in Minneapolis. One in Lincoln, Nebraska. So, but about 20. One in St. Louis. They are their brew pubs. And they, I, I mean, and they also like serve food as well. So, I mean, I assume it's kind of like an Applebee's or something like that. You know, oh, Gru, who's been there, he's, he's nodding. Yes. All right. So why are we talking about Hopcat? Like I say, there's one in Wisconsin. Well, apparently they have one of the signature items. They've been around for 11 years. That's when the first one was founded. Been around for 11 years. The Madison one opened up. Madison one opened up in 2015. All right. So the, the menu is pretty much the same at the various locations across the, the Midwest, across the country. And their signature, or at least one of their signature items, has been their French fries. And they apparently, they've got some sort of, like, special seasoning, this cracked pepper seasoning. My producer, Gru, is nodding his head. You've had these French fries, huh? Are they, He says you've had them. Are they good? 
All right. They're, okay. You're, you're just saying they're French fries. But anyhow, this is their signature item. Apparently, people love their, their French fries. They don't on their menu. They have never called them French fries, even though that's what they are. They call them crack fries, C-R-A-C-K, crack fries. So why do they call them crack fries? fries? Well, it's because they believe that these are incredibly addictive. It is a reference to crack cocaine, which is incredibly addictive. And so it was like, okay, we think this is going to be a cute name. We're going to call them crack fries because you're not going to just be able to eat one or two or three or six or whatever. It, and so it, it's it's sort of a clever reference. But, a, again, it's like, you know, they're saying, okay, these things are like crack cocaine. You know, you, you, you can't stop doing it. And so it's been on the menu for 11 years at their various locations. Uh, they have now announced – that they are renaming, they are changing the name of these French fries. They will no longer be crack fries because they say drug addiction is not a joke. Here's the story. While the name crack fries, this is what the the company says, while the name crack fries was intended to be tongue-in-cheek, drug addiction is not a joke. The drug crack has devastated many of our communities that we serve, and as a result, we are no longer going to be, you know, making fun of this addiction. People love crack fries. A lot of people love the name, but we thought it was time to make a change. We've been thinking about this for the year, for years. So we finally decided that, okay, this is the time. It's not going to be crack fries anymore because we think some people are interpreting this as making fun of drug addiction. Let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I, I want to focus this. They have, they can call these things anything they want. They can call them crack fries. They can call them French fries. They can call them Fred. You know, that, that's, that's not the, the issue. But the reason that they are making the change is because they believe that by calling them crack fries, they are making fun of drug addiction. And they are concerned about that. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a legitimate concern, or is this political correctness run amok? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should people be offended by this? Do they think that this glorifies glorifies crack cocaine does it do they think that gee this is mocking people who have a drug habit or do most people understand what this is referring to which is just you know really really addictive french fries 414-799-1620 should they have is it an overreaction is it political correctness run amok to change the name of this very popular item we discuss in just a moment i'll tell you where i come down on this as well it's 141 jeff wagner wtmj if you're on the line please hold on 144, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, there's a small restaurant chain based out of Grand Rapids. They've got one location in Madison. They're called Hopcat, and it's a brew pub. I, I get the idea. It's kind of like an Applebee's, etc. They They have, for the last 11 years, they've had this item on their menu. It's their French fries, and they say the French fries are great, and they're addictive. They're called crack fries, and, and it's a reference Again, it's a reference to crack cocaine, I guess, but they're addictive. That's what they're saying. They have now decided they are going to change the name of the French fries because they're concerned that they are glorifying drug abuse. 
Really? 414-799-1620. And again, nobody's arguing whether or not they have the right to change the name. They're, business, they're in their own business. Like I say, they can call the French fries Fred if they want. But the question is, is this a legitimate reason? Should they feel that they need to change this? Or is the fact... Hey, I mean, they're referring to them as crack fries. Do people understand what they're talking about? Here's one of my texts. Jeff, my sister has worked as a nurse with people who have had medical issues associated with narcotics. She told me last week that a certain dried fruit snack um, is like crack for her. I think the name, name change is PC Gone Awry. 414-799-1620. Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. As I told your screener, I'd like to get jobs these people that have these time to come up with this stuff. I think it's ridiculous. We go to one in Royal Oak, Michigan all the time, and the fries are really good. Right. And my wife and I make uh, this raspberry habanero jelly or jam. We put on extra sharp cheddar on crackers. Right. And the whole family refers to it as crack. When you bring it out to crack, I mean, it's just <laughs> nuts. Pretty soon, I guess we're going to have you know, Denny's or something are going to have to take pot roast off the menu. Well, I, I right. If, if people are addicted, that's. So, I mean, I guess your point is when you're making this reference, you're not mocking people who have drug addictions. You're not glorifying people who have drug addiction. It, it, you're just saying, hey, this is something that is addictive. Boom! I can't get enough of it. I'm from Wisconsin. I'm addicted to cheese. What can I say? <laughs> that's right. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, here's another text. Jeff, I actually love that they did this on their own. Sometimes in the past, things that are funny, and then when situations change, it's no longer funny. I'm impressed that the small restaurant chain did it on their own. Well, I mean, I, I will tell you, I mean, the explosion of crack cocaine, because I was a drug prosecutor back then, I mean, happened in 1987. So, I, I mean, that that's when crack cocaine really, like, like found its way the mid 80s you know maybe a little bit later where it really found the way its way into um america parlance and i guess i i just i look at this and i'm thinking all right the reason for it is because they they think it's essentially some people might perceive this as 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 mocking drug addiction or being insensitive to drug addiction and i just i wonder who those people are i mean where is that person that's legitimately going to be offended by something like this danny in west Dallas. danny you're on wtmj hey jeff how you doing i'm well thank you what do you think well okay i've got a pretty good sense of humor and i'm not really a politically correct kind of guy but i see the company's point and the idea that there's some things you don't joke about, and it's not so much, I think, the drug addiction, but the drug itself, and the idea that, okay, if you if you keep making it, you know, a point, you know, making jokes of it and so on, people don't take it as seriously as they should. Hmm. And so right there, it's like, okay, what's next, the heroin burger, or are you going to have a wine company that's going to call be called Alcoholics Unanimous? Well, I guess you know, yeah, that's cute. By the way, <laughs> that, that's cute. Um, I, I guess my question would be, though. All right, this is this is part. This has become part of 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 our overall parlance in 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 America today. Like the last caller was saying, hey, I mean, I refer to the, this this habanero cheese dip we make as as crack. Um, there's guys that I hang out with uh, a couple of my golfing buddies. They, there's this one particular bar, and they refer to those little pull tabs. They refer to that as, as crack. You know, that's, hey, let, let's have some more crack. I mean, are, are we saying that we can't say that anymore because it might be offensive to someone? Well, I'm not saying that we can't say it anymore, but that maybe there should be a little bit of a, a filter involved. You know, I mean, it's hard to do with something like that, really, I mean, realistically. But, you know, like I said, you know, it's, 
with, with some people, you know, okay, yeah, they're going to see the joke and they're just going to laugh about it. But there's a lot of people that are just going to, I think, look at that and go, well, okay, yeah, I see your point, but boy, isn't there a better way to say it? Well, okay, thanks. I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, look, and, and yeah, I guess where, where I wrestle with the, these things is, I, I more perhaps than, than a lot of people, especially given, you know, what I used to do for a living, you know, chasing drug dealers, I, I recognize and firmly believe that our fascination with controlled substances is one of the huge social issues that we have nowadays. I, 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 I understand all that, but at the same time, I guess I, I wonder where are we going to draw the line? I mean, for example, should we be telling people, all right, it, where does this, where does this happen? It's breaking bad. One of the great TV shows of all times, you know, was about uh, a meth dealer, a guy that made meth, methamphetamine. Methamphetamine is a huge scourge in certain parts of uh, this country. All right, should we be saying, well, okay, we can't be showing Breaking Bad anymore because there's some people who think that this glorifies drug abuse. 414-799-1620. I guess I just wonder... How far do we carry this? And this this phrase, oh, this is like crack. Has that now, are we at a point now where we can't say this anymore because some people might interpret it again as glorifying drug abuse? Let's talk to um, Ann in McGuanago. Ann, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Ann. Um, I just feel like, you know, nowadays everybody gets offended by anything that's said, you know, so it's like, if it's kind of like a turn of phrase, you know, like right. if uh, if you want to call a snack, you know, crack because it's good or a drink or whatever it may be, like, why not, you know? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's it. Like I say, the, the, the guys that I, I go to his bar with once in a while during like Packer games and stuff, that that's that's what they refer to those, those silly like dollar scratch offs. And they put some money in. Oh, give us a couple more crack and things that crack. And they're. They're not. I know they're not mocking drug addicts. I just know they're right, just right. using this this common thing that this is a highly addictive sort of thing. That's the way it's being right. used. If you were using it into like a derogative or a negative way towards something, then sure, then yeah, okay, be offended or something. But right. if you're just kind of joking about it, turn a phrase nowadays. It, well, you know, it, it is, and it has that. Kind Right. Thanks. I mean, it has that kind of common understanding that, that's out there. I guess here's my point. I think people read way too much into into things. And I mean, candidly, I mean, again, the rest, the rest, they can call whatever they can call the stuff, whatever they want. That That's not the issue. But the idea is, well, we think there's people out there that believe that we are glorifying drug abuse when we refer to our French fries as crack fries. I don't think there is any reasonable person that would say, hey, I, I want an order of these crack fries that would think that they are glorifying drug abuse or mocking people who are drug abusers. And yet that is what their concern is, and that's what happens in the PC world that we live in. 152, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. We refer to Gracie's Doggy Delights. Those are... Uh, that's the doggy treats, the dog food that's put together by John Jagler's daughter, Gracie. Um, we refer to Gracie's doggy delights as doggy crack because our dog and any other dog that we've given them to goes absolutely nuts over them. Jeff, it's a phrase. I think it's ludicrous that we even have this conversation. At some point, the pu- people pushing political correctness are going to have to stand by for the backlash. I think it is coming. Here's another text, uh, just dictionary. The word crack is an adjective normally used before a noun to describe its very good or excellent quality or ability, like crack troops. 
Huh. Crack team. Crack sales force. We can't do that anymore, I guess, because maybe that's going to be mocking people with drug problems and such. Again, I just can they do it? Yes. But um, the, the whole idea is, should they? Here's another text. Jeff, this is ironically a great topic. My wife and my dream is to quit our jobs and mass produce these pretzels that she has come up with that everybody refers to as crack pretzels. Um, I am the farthest from political like also, but I told her, no, honey, I don't think we can call them that. Um, yeah, it's just, you know. What, what can you say? It's just people can decide for themselves. If, if I was at this restaurant, would I not go to this restaurant because they have crack fries on the menu? I don't think so. Hey, real quick, one of the things that's going on across the pond is, is this vote of no confidence that's going on, I believe now, involving the British prime minister. If you want to talk about an absolute mess, that's, that's what this is. Brexit was Brexit. The, the, Great Britain is in the European Union with many, many countries in Europe, you know. Um, and last year, you had some people who were pushing to, to get Britain, Great Britain out of the European Union. Well, that, that sounds good, but the reality is it's huge problems because what do you do with the borders? What do you do with trading, etc.? The then prime minister in Great Britain thought, okay, I tell you what, let's, let's, have, let's have a referendum on this because most people will see it's not a good idea. Well, the problem is the Brexit thing passed. So then you have the prime minister who didn't think it was a good idea. He steps down because he says, look, I, I oppose this. Uh, if people want it, I shouldn't be the one that tries to, you know, nurse this through. So you get this new prime minister, Theresa May, and she doesn't really think that Brexit is a good idea, but she's the one that's charged with trying to, to work out something. So she's negotiating with the European Union. How do we get out of the European Union? She's trying to get support in Parliament for doing this. And just like Donald Trump gets no support at all from Democrats, Theresa May is getting no support at all from the opposition party, the, the liberal party that's out there. So now she's trying to wrestle with this cantankerous group of, you know, her own, you know, her, her own uh, supporters and stuff. And, you know, they nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows what to do. And the bottom line is, I think most people out there in Britain really still re- regret this particular vote where the people said, all right, let, let's get out of Brexit. Bottom line today is there is a no confidence vote that is going on among the conservative members of parliament, the, the MPs, because they're the ones that select their leader, in this case, the prime minister. I, if if. There a majority of the prime of the ministers of parliament, essentially the congressmen, if they if they vote no confidence, that essentially means that Theresa May is out, and it, it ends up being even more of a mess. I don't know how this whole thing is going to work out. My biggest concern is not whether Europe, Britain stays in the European Union, but rather how that affects our stock market here or those of us who have invested in international stocks. But it's just kind of a fascinating thing to watch. And it, it really goes back to last year when voters in Great Britain had a hissy fit and surprised pretty much all the experts by saying, we want out of the European Union. Now there's a lot of buyer's remorse, and that is what's playing out as we speak. It's 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. When I was a lad, there were a handful of college football bowl games. And generally speaking, they were all 
right around you know New Year's Day. I mean, New Year's Day, you had the Sugar Bowl, you had the Rose Bowl, um, you had um, a, a couple other, you had the Fiesta Bowl after a while, you had the Cotton Bowl, all the, you had the Orange Bowl that was at night, and, and then you, you had a couple games that were perhaps that, that week before New Year's. Well, one of the things that's happened over the last several years has been there has been an explosion of, of bowl games. And you might say, well, why is this? Well, there's a couple reasons. First of all, it's all about TV. TV wants TV wants to have something. You've got to feed the beast with live sports. So you have these different bowls that sign contracts with various TV providers, you know, and, and so the TV, they, they need content. So there, there's money to be had. So there, there's money in the bowls. Why do the teams want to go to some of these bowls? Well, there's a couple reasons. First of all, if your team is in a bowl game, you can have extra practices, which is something that is important. In addition, um, the, the schools get money. Now, the bigger the bowl you go to, the more money you get, but there's money for the school that's involved. There's TV money, so you've had the proliferation of bowls. I have in front of me a list of the various bowl games that there are out there. They start, and I, I don't guarantee that this is that this is definitive, but uh, the first one I have is the New Mexico Bowl, which is played in New Mexico, December 15th. That's between North Texas and Utah State. Then... December 15th, you've got the Cure Bowl in Orlando, Florida. That features 6-6 six and six Tulane versus 7-6 and six Louisiana. Hmm. National pollsters are going to be looking at that. Uh, you've got the Las Vegas Bowl on December 15th as well, Arizona State versus Fresno State. You've got the Camellia Bowl on December 15th. Then the New Orleans Bowl, the Boca Raton Bowl, the Frisco Bowl, the Gasparilla Bowl, the Bahamas Bowl, the Idaho Potato Bowl, the Birmingham Bowl, the Armed Forces Bowl, the Dollar General Bowl in Mobile, Alabama, the Hawaii Bowl in Hawaii, the First Responder Bowl in Dallas, the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit. Who could forget the Quick Lane? What is this? Is that like a grocery store or an oil change place? We don't know. Um, the Cheez-It Bowl in Phoenix. The Independence Bowl in Shreveport. The Pinstripe Bowl. Uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin 7-5. They're playing in the Pinstripe Bowl in New York. The Texas Bowl. The Music City Bowl. The Camping World Bowl. The Alamo Bowl. The Belk Bowl. The Arizona Bowl. The Military Bowl. The Red Box Bowl. The Liberty Bowl. Then the Holiday Bowl. The Tax Slayer Bowl. Then the Sun Bowl, the Outback Bowl, the Citrus Bowl, Peach Bowl, Rose Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Sugar Bowl. And uh, then, of course, the Orange Bowl and the Cotton Bowl. And those are the, the two that have the national playoff implications. Those winners go on. But you, you get the idea. There's bowl game after bowl game after bowl game. And the, the big reason is, no surprise, it's money and it's, it's like TV money. All right. So where are we going with this? Interesting story in the Wall Street Journal today. More and more. High school, on high school, college football players who are leaving for the NFL draft. So the regular season is over. Your team, though, is playing in a bowl game, but it's not one of the national championship games. It's one of the, I mean... It's one of the Spud Bowls. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, if you're playing in the Cheez It Bowl, no offense to TCU six and six versus California seven and five. It's a Spud Bowl. All right, you know, uh, the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit, Minnesota versus Georgia Tech, six and six versus seven and five. You know, I'm, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be demeaning. I, I get it, but it's it's not. 
it's not one of these big things. You're not playing for the national championship. Well, one of the interesting things, and the Wall Street Journal has a big story about this, missing from bowls, top players, more than a dozen top NFL prospects have already declared that they will not play in their team's bowl games later this month. The sit-outs aren't because the kids, the players, are hurt. It's because they're afraid they might get hurt. So in other words, you know, you have some of the top players, they've got... You know, people that are telling them, all right, this is probably where you're going to be drafted. You've got three years on film. You've got four years on film. You know, you're going to be a top 10 player. You're going to be a top 20 player, whatever. And they're making the decision, okay, the regular season is over. We're not going to play in these bowl games. These bowl games are essentially, from our perspective, they're meaningless. It's not like we're playing in a game for, like, the national championship or not, or, or whatever. It's more like, hey, if, if I'm going to get drafted, do I want to risk my last game in college getting hurt playing in the Idaho Potato Bowl and perhaps costing myself I go from being a first-round draft choice to maybe not getting drafted at all. So more and more of these players, and like I say, there's already over a dozen who have just decided they're not going to play. This started a couple years ago with with two players, a guy named Leonard Fournette from uh, LSU and Christian McCaffrey of Stanford. And now they're talking about it's quickly become a widespread movement among players who are getting ready to turn pro who are simply saying, is it worth risking millions of bucks to make an unpaid appearance in the Camping World Bowl? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Now, obviously, the coaches want to try to win the, the games, and obviously the fans of the teams try to want to win the games, and the reality is there's probably not a lot you can do. There's probably nothing you can do to force a player who says, I'm not going to play, to for- force him to play. But here is my question. Are these players who are making the decisions to, to sit out, we're done, we're not playing anymore, we don't want to risk injury, are they... Are they selling out their team, or is this a rational decision that they shouldn't be criticized for? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You say, hey, look, this is this is what I'm going to do for a living. I'm, I'm going to be a first-round draft choice. I'm really not going to improve my stock materially one way or the other. I, I don't want to risk getting hurt. So I'm not going to Boise, Idaho. 414-799-1620. Is that a reasonable position for the players to take? Or do you think that they're essentially selling out on their teams? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And that has been like that since I I sat down in this chair. The freeway's been closed for two-plus hours going north. Just an absolute mess. Okay, 414-799-1620. If you're just tuning in, this is starting, well, December 15th, just a couple days from now. That's really the start of the college bowl season. There's 30-plus bowl games. There only used to be a half dozen or so, but now it's increased, and it's because of TV and things like that. So you have all the these middling teams that are playing in these bowls. No offense to any of the bowls, but they're, they're, they don't have any significance one way or the other other than the fans of the team. And one of the trends now is that a number of the stars on a lot of these college football teams, and by stars I mean 
these players who are getting ready to they're, they're going to be drafted they're going to be playing in the nfl they've used up their college eligibility they are now starting to say to their teams <clears throat> we're done we're, we're not playing we're not playing in the you know idaho potato bowl because we don't want to risk getting injured all right is that a betrayal of the team does that say something about the character of the players or does it make sense let me share a couple texts before we go to the phone lines uh jeff unfortunately it's a reality it's a very rational decision and i agree with it here's another one i have no problem with that decision unless it's a national championship game it doesn't mean anything and it's not worth the risk jalen smith who's now a linebacker for the cowboys blew out his knee and caused serious nerve damage and didn't know if he could play again by playing in one of these useless games. He sat on it for a year, and now he's finally playing in the process, I would add, but he undoubtedly cost himself just a a ton of money. Here's another one, Jeff. I don't think the athlete is selling out if they choose not to participate, if they feel they can potentially be drafted. The school already has the money and the exposure from the bowl experience. Another text. I think they have every right to protect their body and their future from injury. Many of these players have made millions of dollars for the schools. They have likely received a free quality education, but no monetary compensation. It's no different than a top-tier NFL player sitting out the Pro Bowl. All right. Is that is that true? Let's start with Bill in Plymouth. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi. Thanks hi, for talking to me. Thanks for calling. Hey, I feel real strongly about this, that this is wrong. These players signed up to play and there's other ways to go about this. They can take out insurance policies. They can do all kinds of things here. They're letting their teammates down. Um, I don't want them on my professional team for the simple reason that if they're going to decide when they're going to play and when they're not going to play and what games are important and what games aren't important, I don't want them playing for me. Well, no, I, sir. but I guess at the same time, their college career is essentially over. They're, I mean, is this, let me ask you this, but is this any different, for example, than the, the last football game of the year? Um, your team is going to make the playoffs, and so you decide, the coach decides to rest a whole bunch of players so they don't get hurt in that last game of the year that's meaningless, so you make sure they're healthy for the playoffs. Is that any different than this? Yeah, the coach made the decision. The players play. Players don't make decisions. Okay. All right. Thanks to call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right. I mean, the coaches. That's fair. The coaches obviously want these guys to play. They're saying, though, look, it just doesn't make any sense. This is a meaningless game to us at this point in time. It's not like we're going to be winning the national championship. And does it really, is it worth the risk that we might win this game so we go from being ranked number 28 to number 24? 414-799-1620. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Yes. Hi. Hi. I, um, I can understand why they don't want to play they don't want to get hurt and it's going to you know could possibly ruin their career right but these players signed up for a four-year scholarship or whatever i don't you know sure. whatever if they have a scholarship and they still have another semester left do you think the school has the right to deny them that part of that scholarship for that yeah. second the second semester i don't you know if i you're not fulfilling their requirement to play football for four years well, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, but they played all but the the one game. I I guess as a practical matter, Sue, I wonder how many of those the guys that are going to the NFL. I wonder how many of them stay in school anyhow. You know, as opposed to just hey, I'm I'm going to sign with an agent now and I'm going to work out in advance of of the draft. I know, but you know, there's been some money, you know, ex- yeah. ex- 
you know, the expense for the school, and, you know, they've got um, another semester left. I would think the school would have some um, repercussion there that they could get some money back from these kids. I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I think that would be tough. I mean, the school, right, the, the school has already. Based on, and again, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about the creme de la creme. We're talking about the stars, the people that are going to get drafted, you know, in, in the NFL, which is a very small percentage. I think the argument would made is that, hey, the, the kids got a college scholarship, but the school has already made millions and millions of dollars based on, on the football team, and the, the kids haven't been compensated beyond that anyways. I think it would be tough for a school to say, we're going to pull the college scholarship. We're not going to, like, let you finish out and, and graduate again. I, I wonder how many of these kids, anyhow, the ones that are going to go in the first round of the NFL draft or the second round, how many of those are intent on finishing it out, anyways? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Armando in Green Bay. Armando, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I think it uh, goes to the character, uh, the attitude, the selfishness of the player. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was in the you know, well, actually, I have been an employer, and I find out that, um, oh, team means I. Do I really want this guy on my team? And I think NFL teams go through tough times, mm-hmm. but there are sometimes you have to sacrifice things, and that's a sacrifice. I mean, it just shows... You know, not you think it's a you think it's a low character move if you sit and say it's a very low character move. It tells me what you're willing to do for a company if I hire you. Mm-hmm. Oh well, I don't want to do this because I might get hurt by not doing this sale. Well, you know, you're going to have that. That's just the way life is. It football's a business, and so is everyday life. Let me ask you this: Do do you feel the same way? Let's talk about a different sport. Let's say okay. let's say you've you've got the baseball pitcher. Who has the the the, the sore arm? It, it's not. He doesn't need to go on the disabled list, but the arm is sore, and he's due to get a perhaps a big contract next year. And he says, "You know what? I don't feel quite right. I, I don't want to risk damaging my arm anymore. I I just I I, I don't want to pitch right now." It, well, it, but you're talk, you're talking about something that he feels in his body, right? As opposed to somebody who's afraid of hurting their body so there's a difference there right no there is a difference no thanks i mean i i acknowledge it, it's not a it's not a perfect analogy 414-799-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line all right is, is is this a is this is it a low character move for the players who simply say hey look i i've got the potential to make millions of dollars it's already locked in I have nothing to gain by going out and playing in a sport where, you know, all it takes is one wrong step and boom, I, I'm out of the game and, you know, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I don't want to risk it in a game which is essentially, essentially meaningless. Let's talk to Randy at Menominee Falls. Hi, Randy. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Um, I guess my comment on this is I, I, I hate to see this type of thing happen. But sometimes I guess I can't fault them for it. But I, I guess my question is, what's the difference between this and somebody that only plays for three years and goes to the NFL or a college basketball player that plays one year and goes to the NBA and just gives up the rest of their scholarship? Right. Isn't that kind of quitting on their team also? Well, I, well, I mean, well, I mean, a lot of these, these kids, the one and dones, I mean, they, the, 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 the colleges bring them in, of course, knowing that they're only going to be there for a year, but saying, hey, you know, that, that's okay. We're, we're going to be able to make millions of dollars off this kid's talent. 
So now thanks. I guess here's how I look at it. I think I, I and I, I understand that some people that you might roll my eyes when I when you're at me when I say this, but I I, I have had a problem with the NCAA, and I've had a problem for years and years, and I'm a huge college basketball fan, with the, the colleges that make millions and millions and millions of dollars off of off of the kids. And the kids get some, yes, they get a four-year scholarship um, if, if they continue to perform. A lot of these scholarships are year to year. You don't play well, boom, you're going to be gone. And you get some athletic clothing, and the schools make millions and millions of dollars. I understand why the kids do it, and I don't necessarily – I don't necessarily fault them for doing this. I guess I don't see it as quitting on the team. I think most of the teammates would understand, gee, we'd really love to have Gru playing with us, but you know what? He's got the chance to do something great for the next 10 years of his life, and no, we'd hate to see him injure himself doing this. Now, I'm... I understand that this hurts perhaps the value of of the schools for the bowl games, but you know maybe it's a lesson that there's just too many meaningless meaningless games that are out there. Appreciate you might disagree with me, but I'm not going to fault the kids too much, and I think it's a sound business decision. And to tell you the honest to God truth, if this were if this were my son, for example, who this was going to be his life. And he was in a position where, you know, he's going to get drafted in the first round. He's going to make a bunch of money. And he's like, Dad, I'm really worried about whether I can get hurt in this game. I I would have a hard time telling him, go ahead and play. I might just be telling him, hey, get your degree, you know, work out, and just be positioned to move to the next phase of your life. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Interesting conversation. Two thirty-seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I think it extremely unlikely that you will have impeachment proceedings launched in the House of Representatives against the President of the United States. Let, let me say that at the start. I number one, unless there is something out there that nobody anticipates coming out of the the Robert Mueller thing, I I don't think you're going to have an impeachable offense. I I understand, and we talked about this at the very start of the show, I understand that, you know, sleazy lawyer Michael Cohen, and and by the way, when I, I say that, it's it's not that I'm buying into President Trump's, you know, the guy's a rat, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the reason Mueller is the reason Mueller, the reason Michael Cohen is in trouble is because he was a sleazy lawyer who decided to attach his star to to Donald Trump. And um, for whatever reasons, I mean, like I said, my theory is that the Trump. Uh, he sort of corrupts a lot of stuff that he touches and he a, a reputable lawyer. Let me put it like this. An ethical, reputable lawyer would not have done a lot of the stuff that Michael Cohen did at the behest or in connection or cooperation with Donald Trump. I mean, just you just wouldn't do it. So, I mean, that says a lot about both of them. Trump gravitates. And again, I'm not talking about President Trump, but Donald Trump, the businessman, gravitates towards these sort of sleazy figures who operate kind of on the shady side of, of ethics. And then you've got a guy like Michael Cohen, who is a, a sleazy sort of character who is trying to ingratiate himself with Donald Trump because it thinks it's going to give him access to people and allow him to make money, etc. And, you know, Cohen has now crashed and burned and he's going to prison for, for three years. No, no sympathy for me a, at all. But even having said all that, like I say, I don't think any of this leads to an impeachable offense. I would be stunned 
absolutely stunned if the Democrats are going to control the House of Representatives coming in January would decide that the best use of their political capital is to try to impeach Donald Trump based on allegations or concerns that he might have arranged a, a, a payment to keep this pornographic film actress from telling her story, the fact that the two of them slept together or didn't sleep together, you know, 10 years earlier. I, I just I don't think that that's going to be the, the case. And now maybe maybe they'll decide to do it. I, I don't know. But I just I don't think that's how the majority of Democrats are going to want to spend their, their time, especially when I think most of their time is going to be spent in trying to not remove Donald Trump from office, but rather to argue to the American public that when, if he runs for re-election in 2020, you shouldn't vote for him. I mean, I think that's where the, the effort is going to be. So I don't really think impeachment is on the table. But it is interesting that, that President Trump yesterday decided that he was going to talk about this. And and what he said was he said he's he's not worried at all about the possibility of impeachment. He said it's hard to impeach somebody who hasn't done anything wrong. <clears throat> and well, I don't know that I don't know it's fair to say he hasn't done anything wrong. It might be fair to say he hasn't committed an impeachable offense. But he says it's hard to impeach somebody who hasn't done anything wrong and who's created the greatest economy in the history of our country. Hmm, okay. Um, but then he went on to say that he thinks that people would revolt. People would revolt if that there was an effort to impeach him. Now, again, I don't think impeachment is on the table. I, I think in many respects, trying to launch into an impeachment effort would be playing into the hands, in one respect, of Donald Trump. Because I think a lot of people would say, we're, we're, this is just not an impeachable thing. Just like in a weird sort of way, when Republicans attempted the impeachment of Bill Clinton back in, what, 96 or whenever that happened, 97 or 98, in a weird way, they played into the hands of Bill Clinton, who behaved in a fashion that I think almost all of us would would agree was unseemly at best, and then who, who lied about it. But the American public wasn't there with removing a president from office because he lied about an affair or a tryst he had with, with this intern in the Oval Office, even though he lied about it and he lied about it under oath. The American public wasn't there with impeaching him on that. And I think, you know, 20 plus years later, I don't think the American public, regardless of how they feel about Donald Trump, would be, would be supportive of removing Donald Trump because he, he, he tried to pay money to kill a story saying that he had sex with a pornographic film actress back in 2007. So I, I don't think impeachment is likely. But I'm intrigued by, by the president's remarks. If, if there were an effort to impeach him, do you think that people would in fact revolt? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would this backfire big time on the Democrats? Do you think the majority of Americans would be appalled if this effort were undertaken? Trump says people would revolt if he were impeached, would they? All right, let's go to the text line first before we, we go to the call. So here's the text line. This is the first text on this. Jeff, you're an idiot. Trump will resign. The facts don't lie. It's the cover-up. All right, now here's the only comment I would make. If you're going to send a text like that to somebody, Jeff, you're an idiot. All right, it should be Jeff, you are, Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. You're an idiot. 
as opposed to Jeff Y-O-U-R. You're an idiot. I mean, I'm just saying, if you're going to send nasty emails, at, at least, you know, check your punctuation. Um, let's see. Uh, Debbie writes, I already feel the Democrats are nuts, and I, I generally support them. Don't think this is going to happen. Um, let's see. I voted straight Republican ticket this fall, as I have done many times before, but I would applaud an effort at impeachment. Another text, I think some hardcore supporters would revolt, but not many. Let them try to impeach. It will just hurt liberals in 2020. I mean, here, I guess, here's the bottom line. I actually, and you're not going to hear me use this phrase too terribly often, I think Nancy Pelosi is is too smart to get caught up in the impeachment morass because do do I believe that people would revolt no no I don't but I think that there's a lot of fair-minded people who might look at an effort to try to impeach Donald Trump for this stuff. Now, you change the facts a little bit. I mean, if there's some smoking gun out there that shows that he he really was, you know, colluding, engaged in a criminal conspiracy with the, the Russian government to try to get himself elected, if there really is something like that, I don't believe that there is. If there's something like that, okay, maybe it's a different dynamic. But if it's well, gee, you know, you funneled some money through your sleazy lawyer campaign fixer to try to keep this story that would have embarrassed you and embarrassed your wife from becoming public. I don't think that the American public in general, regardless of how they feel about President Trump, I don't think they're going to believe that impeachment is is a wise course or is appropriate. And I, I think that would end up being a distraction. And just like the effort to recall Governor Walker, I think, backfired big time on the people who were pushing it in 2012. I, I think this would backfire maybe not as big, but I think it would backfire. It's one of the reasons why I think you know, Nancy Pelosi and a lot of the, the people who want to see the Democrats retake the White House in 2020, why they want no part of it, because they recognize that this ends up being it would be a huge distraction. And it might, and I say might, even have the effect of, you know, making President Trump a a sympathetic figure. So, I mean, I don't think you're going to see impeachment efforts. It's going to honestly, though, be one of, I believe, the challenges that uh, perhaps both Chuck Schumer and particularly Nancy Pelosi are going to have because you're going to have people in their party who are going to be agitating you know, agitating for trying to, you know, do this. You know, this is, we hate Trump, we're the anti-Trump wing, you know, we're part of the resistance and we want him to be removed. One of the battles that she is going to have in trying to keep people in line is the fact that, you know, she's going to have to, again, balance these different competing interests. And I think one of the things that she's going to have to sell her caucus on is the whole notion that, look, politically, rather than spending capital on impeachment, we are much better off, you know, going after President Trump on the different issues and fighting him on this thing and fighting him on that thing because we don't want to risk making him, again, a martyr. Do I think people would revolt if he were impeached? No, I, I don't think they would revolt, but I do think it could potentially backfire in a big way. Speaking of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. I had an opportunity last evening to to watch that that news conference. I'd only heard it before, but I had an opportunity to watch it where you had the president and Schumer and Pelosi 
uh, just just sitting there for this like press availability that quickly degenerated into I, I don't know what, but the word. I mean, the, the word that I would describe is surreal, because typically when you have these closed-door meetings and they come out afterwards to address the press, what typically happens is the, the two or three people that were involved in the meeting, starting with the president, they sit down and they say, well, we, we just had a meeting. I think it was a good meeting. It was a productive meeting. And we're all committed to trying to work towards whatever mutually agreed goals we can. Boom, thanks a lot, you take your pictures. This, of course, was nothing like that. You had the give and take, and you had the going back and forth. And for everybody who thought that it wasn't going to be a rocky ride over the next two years, you you saw the ghost of politics future yesterday. Uh, the New York Times has a couple interesting, they got five takeaways from the thing, and, and candidly, even though it's the New York Times, I, I don't disagree. They say, number one, Trump knows tension makes good television. Yeah, I mean, it's just riveting. You're watching these three snipe at each other. Yeah, I mean, it, it made great television. Number two, this is what divided government looks like. Absolutely. I mean, you. The, the reality is elections do matter. And the fact that Democrats control the House of Representatives, you know, Donald Trump, if he wants to get stuff done, he's got to work with them. And th- there doesn't appear to be too much middle ground on this. They say, number three, Chuck Schumer knows how to goad President Trump. And there, there is an element of that. I mean, Schumer, who looked very, uh, uh, you know, but he was, he looked uncomfortable, but he was clearly goading Trump and Trump was taking the base. Bait, speaking about uncomfortable, Mike Pence, man, he was out there. To, he was the guy that looked like the vice president looked like he wanted to be anywhere but there. Yeah. I mean, it was just kind of like, I, I think, you know, I mean, I, I'm thinking he's probably thinking, Boy, this has quickly turned into a major league poop show. What am I doing here, and how do I get off the stage? Uh, let's see. Number four is mansplain to Pelosi at your peril, and that Trump would own a shutdown. It was just amazing theater, and I will tell you, it's going to be an amazing time in American history over the course of the next couple years. Stick around. We'll be around to talk about it all. Right now, it is 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for the Wednesday edition of Wisconsin's Afternoon News. It's 2.54, Jeff Wagner. WTMJ.